Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. Good morning, everybody. Uh, can I ask the panel to come up onto the stage and I will introduce them one by one. We have a very eminent group of people uh, with us for this final session. On the end, uh, Alex Graham, CEO of Wall to Wall. Uh, next to me here, Tess Al, CEO of Thinkbox. Uh, Stephen Lambert is the founder and chief executive of Studio Lambert and Stuart Purvis is professor of television journalism at City University London, formerly chief executive of ITN and formerly of Ofcom. So he can talk about pretty much everything to do with television in some form or another. Television on the Move is the name of our, uh, of our sessions and we can take it as literally um, as we like or not. Uh, so we, uh, and, and I want you to sort of drive this session largely. I'll kick off and get some thoughts from our, from our panel and then do feel free to pile in uh, with, with a hand up whenever you like. So we can talk about uh, television literally on the move uh, with, with, with mobile and small screens. We can talk about the television industry uh, on the move um, with all these various different uh, technological uh, and cultural innovations. Uh, Take it, as, take it as widely as you like. But let me begin, uh, Alex Graham, just by asking you, do, do you think, uh, if, if, we, if we start fairly literal in terms of uh, mobile and small screens, we, we all thought that this would massively transform the kind of content that we were, we were going to have to produce a few years ago. Did it? Well, I, I think the important thing is I think we're still, you know, as um, was it Mao Tung who said about the French Revolution, it's too early to tell. I think that it's, we are still living through this revolution. So I think I, I, I'd, be, I'd be very cautious about making any uh, definitive claims about where we are now uh, or where we might end up in five or ten years' time. But I think it is true to say that if we'd been having a conference like this of maybe even a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, um, it would have been fashionable to talk about you know, the one-foot experience, the three-foot experience, the ten-foot experience, uh, with the kind of assumption that underpins that distinction, that somehow the content consumed on these different devices was radically different depending on which device you're on. And, and I think, I mean, it's early days yet, but this, the evidence seems to suggest that isn't true. I mean, I think it's on balance, people, and you wouldn't be surprised about this, tend to watch slightly, slightly more shorter form content the smaller the screen is. But it's nowhere near as much as we think. I mean, actually, on tablets, on phones, about 50% of the content consumed on these devices at the moment is about, uh, or close to 50%, is, is long form content. Um, uh, the, the kind of stuff that, you know, in the old days, people like me used to call television. So I, 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 I'm, certainly at the moment, I think it's rather dangerous to, certainly from my point of view as a, as a producer, I'm very skeptical about the idea of you know, repurposing or rethinking the kind of content I'm gonna make according to which uh, device, platform, uh, screen size it's gonna be consumed on. Um, I mean, another thing I'd say is I, I, I'm probably less interested in the idea of content on mobile and more interested in what those various devices can do to enhance content generally. I mean, I think the other thing is actually people social don't media, watch... You mean, or, yeah, social media, but also, you know, the kind of the, the integration of kind of 
the, you know, the, the much vaunted second screen experience, you know, that people talk about, although I'm not sure everyone quite understands what that is yet. But, you know, I, I, I see it much more. I mean, I think the truth is people, that's the other problem is I don't think people are watching one screen. I think people are actually increasingly um, uh, engaging with um, certainly at least two screens, if not more, uh, simultaneously. And I think that, for me, is the most interesting bit, where social media meets television, where apps meet television, the ability to enhance the experience of the audience and the relationship between the producer and the audience. Stephen, as the other other big sort of content uh, producer here, I mean, has it changed the way you think about what you need to make? It's beginning to. I mean, I would agree with Alex that it's a bit early to tell. I think when, when say, Big Brother began, uh, the, um, there was a continual stream of 24 hours of what was happening in the house available on mobile devices. The, the, the image quality was terrible, and it really didn't take off. I think there's, there's been dramatic developments in, in a very recent period. Um, uh, apparently, um, so I'm told, um, YouTube has 4 billion views a day. Um, as recently as November last year, um, 400,000 of those were on mobile devices. Um, last month, it w- had gone up 50% to 600,000. That's a 50% increase in the use of viewing of, of, of YouTube um, on mobile devices. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, I, I personally find that I'm watching much more on YouTube, for instance, or, or other devices. I think the tablet has, has made a big difference. Before, the mobile device that one tended to watch was, 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 was your, your phone in some form or another. The tablet is still very recent. I think what's the big thing for me is that it's affected the content in the sense that I think the desire to watch programmes that are happening now, as opposed to recorded, is getting greater than ever. The biggest shows in the world are shows that are, are happening in real time. Because of the shared experience. Because bad. of the shared experience and, and, and the, the, the fact that it's happening now. I think Twitter, for instance, has been a fantastically strong countervailing force to time-shifting. Uh, everybody talked about the fact that people are going to increasingly just watch programmes whenever they want to. The fact that now people want to watch it at the time when everybody else is commenting on it is a very strong force back against time-shifting and saying, no, watch it when everybody else is talking about it. If you watch it the next day, you've missed out on the conversation. And what, what about the type of content itself? You know, because... It, as, as Alice was saying, a couple of years ago, we were saying, well, people will watch smaller, you know, shorter things. Be a, it'll be a different kind of experience. You'll do something for TV, and you'll have to do something else for mobile. I that turned out to be really, wrong, I think it? it's more that you are... We're developing now three shows, I can think of, that are all real-time shows. And I think the exciting thing about real-time shows is coming up with a, a dynamic that isn't just about elimination. Um, I think we'll look back as, in, in as soon as two or three years' time and say... How was it extraordinary? All the big shows were real-time shows, and yet their only dynamic was elimination. I think that within a very short period of time, there will be a lot of very big shows that will be in real time, that are happening now. What we're seeing is the audience will have some ability to influence what happens next, but it will be a more interesting dynamic than just kicking people out of the the balloon. Tess, um, how much has the content changed as a result of... Mobile and different platforms and second screens and all the rest of it. I think it has changed a lot less than we anticipated. What it has done is make us understand what TV is, and TV is not a device. You know, the, the average person in the room would say TV is what I watch. I don't care what I watch it on. I don't care what technology delivers it, uh, delivers it to me. The thing about mobile, I think, is uh, for watching TV content, is more about the context. I actually think you still want... You, you generally go to mobile uh, sometimes as a distress thing, so you desperately 
you want to see the news or you want to see a, a football game because you can't wait and you want to see it and you're on a bus. Um, so what you watch on mobile might be a little bit different from you might not watch Homeland, for, for instance, on a mobile device. So, um, but the context in which you watch it, I think, is very different. And I think that's the single biggest difference. So if you're watching on a mobile device, you will almost certainly be watching it on your own. And that has a, a, an enormous impact on all sorts of things that your choice, uh, your attentiveness, uh, whereas watching on a TV set in home domestically, almost all the time you're watching with somebody else as long as you live with somebody else. And, and what about Stephen's point about social media being the, the big uh, mitigating yes. factor against time shifting? Yes. Is that right? Uh, it's not as big, generally, social media is not nearly as big as we think because we're all doing it. Um, and if you want, I, you know, I'll give you some absolutely hard uh, stats. Only 12% of the population actually use Twitter. So that's a sobering <laughs> thought. However, it is growing and it is incredibly positive. Um, I, I, it's not all positive. Let's, let's be a bit contrarian. The thing I worry about sometimes is commissioners now seeing the interaction as being an end in itself. I've actually heard commissioners stand on a platform and say, the trouble with that show, it was a bit too interesting. Uh, so we didn't give people time to tweet. And that sounds <laughs> really scary to me. So I'm delighted if people don't want to tweet because they're so gripped by something. So uh, Stu, let's not make it an end in itself. Can I put your, your news hat on first, if you like? Because that is one area where... Uh, technological innovation and, and, and the watching on mobile has really transformed yeah. the viewing experience. Yeah, well, if you Google Stuart Purvis' future of news, you'll see that about 15 years ago I said the future of news is mobile. It was very embarrassing because it was using a technology which was so unsuccessful, I can't even remember what it was called. So actually, for quite a long time, that did appear to be a completely false dawn. And really, in a sense, I think it was only when iPhones came along and the screen experience became kind of, you know, more than just a few words that the whole thing's taken off. And so, and I think the significance of Twitter, for instance, is that the first time I, I genuinely see a converged conversation going on between journalists. I mean, to be honest, these are different tribes, as we, as we see at Leveson. And now these tribes are kind of talking to each other, and you're, and you're one of the practitioners. And I find that it's, got, it's almost like a kind of editorial playground. So I think a lot of people are going to Twitter for that first take on the news. But of the, of the sort of unexpected consequences, I was actually told by a BBC producer the other day that when we choose presenters now, we look at who's got the most followers, which I thought, really? <laughs> so that, again, should play to your strengths, Chris. So there's all sorts of things going on, but basically more and more people, I think, are using uh, social media as recommendation to where to go for news. You know, I was a gatekeeper for 20 years. I pretty much decided what 10 million people a night watched, which was an extraordinarily interesting position to be in. But that, that's all long gone. But now that I think the power to recommend via Twitter, and I think, for instance, iPlayer doesn't really use recommendation much. I think that's going to be the next big thing. More and more people saying, watch this, watch that, but, you know, really to utilise the access which is now available. But isn't, isn't there a danger, Alex, uh, that this makes television uh, even more conservative, less risk-taking, much more prone to falling victim to a bad Twitter review, um, and, and that commissioners will be overly influenced by it? by 12% of the population, 90% of whom are trolls. Well, I don't think, I mean, I think, I mean, Tess probably ought to, I mean, I, I understand because of, kind of, Tess's day job, why she's concerned that people might not be absolutely transfixed by the screen and might be paying attention to other things at the same time. But I, I mean, for me, I, 
Well, I don't see it. I mean, yes, there's always a danger, although I have to say I'm not sure whether commissioning editors could get more risk-averse or conservative than they are now. I think that would be quite remarkable. And, I, I, and so I, I don't know if that's actually possible. I mean, I do agree that, I, I, I mean, I, as I say, I, I, I agree with Stephen that I think that, that, well, what I think is that, and it's a bit like the coming out of the last section, I, I don't actually think technology is going to destroy the world. Neither do I think it's likely to, on its own to introduce world peace. You know, I think it's just technology. And I think that, you know, techno actually, if, if anyone introduces world peace, it will be people. You know, and if anyone destroys the world, it will be people. It will not be technology. And I think the evolution of technology in television and everything else is dare I say it, but the risk of sounding Marxist or, you know, contradictory, you know, or paradoxical even, you know. And so what you have is you have, you know, a multitude of screens that are issues where, you know, in some cases that is fragmenting the audience. Tess is right, you know, you, you know, you're watching stuff on your own. But the other thing is that if you're watching stuff as part of the social media, I mean, Stephen is also right that actually, it, you know, and I mean, interesting, if you take, the, the, you know, one, one of the shows we've done recently, The Voice on, B, on the BBC, where everyone got caught up in a slightly ridiculous kind of hyped debate about The Voice versus Britain's Got Talent, you know, and that was what, you know, <laughs> people got terribly excited about that. But actually, the, when the most interesting interesting thing about The Voice was what a phenomenon it became in the world of social media. I mean, it was an absolutely extraordinary social media phenomenon. Now, Could you just tell us what, well, what was different about I haven't got the stats, but I mean, if you, you, you look, I mean, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but if you look at, you know, then, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the you know, then, the, 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 I mean, I sat there watching the show with the Twitter, you know, I mean, Twitter could not cope with the kind of, you know, with, with the, the, the number of tweets that we could do. I mean, I think it broke all, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it broke all kinds of records in terms of social media. But does that change the voice in any way? I mean, you know, the fact that people are talking about it now instead of just in their front room or in the pub, but on Twitter. What actual difference does that make to the content, to the show? Doesn't make any difference. Well, I'm not sure it does make much uh, difference to the content of the show, to be honest. I think people are tweeting about shows that they love, you know, and and that's what I mean. I mean, I think in a way, I'm slightly sceptical. I think in the end, you know, people's desire is for the same kind of content that they've always had. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I take Stephen's point about the fact that I think live and, and happening live, I think that, that's right. And I mean, I even found myself, I mean, actually, I have now found that actually the Twitter feed makes it possible for me to watch stuff that I would completely, you know, I actually watched the Jubilee concert, you know, one of the worst pieces of television I have seen in a very long time, and actually something that I would have crossed the road to avoid, Eurovision. but I watched it, Eurovision. And actually, I now find myself, I actually, when I don't watch something like that, you know, a big event television, and I find myself on Twitter, I, I actually find myself switching on, because I want to, because actually, it's a, it's a completely different experience watching Wait, the Twitter feed. I call that you know. ironic engagement, it's yeah, not really, it's actually a terrible TV but show, but actually it's made bearable by being able to Something. I'm a producer. I don't really care where people are engaging with my content, ironically or not. Oh, you I, should. I just want, I want them to engage with it. I don't care if they love it or hate it. The important thing is that they don't switch it off. You know. Why, why is that wrong? Is it's right, isn't it? As long as there's eyes on the no, on the ads no. that fund it. No. Well, first of all, just about when you'll worry about. I need people to be uh, attending to advertising. People don't pay any attention to advertising. Never have, never will, not newspaper advertising or posters. That's not where advertising lives. Advertising lives in the peripheral, periphery of people's attention. And it's fine. It still works like that. It's a Darren Brown effect. Um, actually, the, the, we've just done a major piece of uh, in-home 
home filming, uh, ethnographic filming of people to screening. Um, and it's fascinating. Actually, in the ad break, rather than get up, walk around, fight with their brother, stroke the cat, they're now sitting. Uh, they stay in the room more. They're facing the TV more. And they're looking up. They're sort of doing this sort of meerkatting thing. So, actually... the uh, the one, obviously, more people, that's Twitter. There are people who use Facebook. People just use messaging and email. So the, um, uh, but for advertising, actually, the mobile, TV plus mobile, is a, a fantastically positive development uh, in all sorts of ways, which I won't go into just yet. <laughs> are, are there any um, mistakes that you would um, point to or own up to yourself in terms of sort of trying to engage with this particular world or technology where people are getting it wrong? Um, we, 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 we certainly had a go uh, at doing a real-time programme for Channel 4, which, in retrospect, I think we made some mistakes. We, we, we wanted the viewers to give advice to characters in real time, um, and it became too vague, and the viewers weren't powerful enough. But I think in the search to find something other than just elimination, uh, you've got to still give them some kind of structure. Um, we were just saying, here, here are a group of people, we're following them, and this is what's happened in their, in their last week. Um, tell them what advice you would give them. And that's just a bit too vague. So you need simple choices. Who to vote for? Who to vote for, or what, give them who should be added, or who should, you know, what, who, who should, what should happen to this person? Or, but if you just vaguely say, what do you think about these people and their relationships? People, people won't engage with that because they don't quite know what it is that you're asking them. Okay, Stuart, um, having done the Futurology 15 years ago, uh, do some more for us now. Um, what, what do you think are the key challenges, if you like, um, facing not just content makers but regulators and you know how how you deal with all this content and well there was a very interesting moment at the royal television society conference at cambridge uh, last year where there was a session by david mitchell actually i think it used to be on the rts website well worth looking at if you haven't seen it in which a whole series of different connected tvs were shown and there was a moment where there was a what appeared to be the sky epg and suddenly a manufacturer's epg overlaid it in other words, Sky were being trumped on what they thought was their own platform. And I just think these platform wars, and I know sometimes content people think, God, you know, that's just a technology, but that's, that's the way I see it developing, is that the platforms are going to intrude more, partly because I think the, uh, the people like Sky and in, in Verizon in the States it's in, has got a platform which more and more inserts advertising, inserts recommendations, etc. That's going to be it. Now, we also see the, the, the bundling uh, war between Sky and BT. And for those who didn't pick this up, I mean, it's reliably reported now that actually BT were not just after some football rights. They were after the big football rights. They were about putting Sky pretty much out of the football game. Now, that was an extraordinary idea, and it comes from this basis of the triple play, that basically you're offering television, you're offering broadband, and you're offering fixed line telephony. And though therefore there was a war between Sky and BT, which is still in the early stages, it's been bloody late coming when you think that BT had a line into pretty much everyone's home to start with. And they have cocked it up time and time and time again. And BT Vision is only the most recent version. So are BT at some point going to fight back against Sky? Are set manufacturers going to start intruding in the way we see Sony trying to do in the connected TV? And so in a sense, people like Stephen and Alex who want their shows to kind of fight for attention 
are not just kind of fighting on their own le level playing field. They've got other people who have an opportunity to intrude into their space. So who will people like... Stephen and Alex be selling programs too. Well, I still think they'll world. be selling to, to channels, but to of course, Sony. Or well, to they, they still oh, they forget, don't forget the crucial thing was that the terms of trade agreement, which Alex and others were involved in, in which they got the secondary rights. So this, all the big commissioning is still done by the big networks. Although, and, and if, interestingly, Sky are commissioning more than ever outside news and sport. So that, that's where the first run will come from. But these secondary rights that producers like this have are, are of increasing value, and I think that's that's the area to watch as well. How, how, are the, how, how are those deals going to be done? What, how, how else can they use those rights? And what, what other role can these other platforms play in offering producers like this the chance to get shows, you know, not just repeated, but perhaps other shows made? I mean, it's interesting that um, in the States, Netflix, uh, for the first time, is commissioning its own programs rather than um, uh, uh, taking the digital rights of programs that are originally commissioned by, by networks. Um, it's... Yeah. It'll be interesting to see whether it works. I mean, how do you launch, how do you have a premiere for something like Netflix where the shows are there all the time? Um, do, you, do you make them all available at once or do you, do you, do you launch one episode and then say uh, in a week's time we're going to make the next one available? It, it's a very unproven area yet, um, but fascinating. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't know if it's going to work, but what is interesting, <laughs> Stuart is absolutely right. I mean, what we're seeing now is that one of the impacts of of the fragmentation of technology is that catch up as a as catch up as a proposition for you know for for, for a long time the digital channels in the UK of you know basically their basic a lot a lot of them their basic proposition was catch up TV in one kind or another it was stuff that you'd seen before on terrestrial and you could now see it again that now as a proposition to sell a channel is dead in the water or, or dying very quickly and and what and, and the response to that is what and that, that is precisely why you see Sky now investing increasing amounts of money in original content I mean they're claiming 600 million it's actually, that includes all the kind of production costs and transmission costs, so it's actually probably in terms of real content, it's more like half of that. It's still a lot more than Channel 5, and, 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 I, and I think they are beginning, but it's not just Sky, it's UK TV, it's Discovery, it's National Geographic, it's Netflix, and I, I think the challenge, is, as, as Stephen says, the problem is, how do you showcase original content in, in, within a platform which comes from, but I mean, from a producer's point of view, I don't, I mean, to be honest, I think that's their problem. Right? I mean, my, I, I, I welcome that because it's, it's more money into original content, it's more competition, and that has to be a good thing. But that means channels are, are, remain king, then, because they, they can put them, the marketing and the, the I scheduling... Think, uh, yeah, I think I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not forecasting the death of the channel uh, anytime soon. I think that, that there will always be a, a need for a curating function. I mean, whether channels look like channels in a few years' time or whether they look more like... You know, platforms. I mean, I think Stuart's right about the, the, the channel the platform wars. I think that you know, you see Google TV, Apple TV, all the proprietary television uh, makers now, the hardware makers are now building in their own interface, their own consumer interface into their TV. I mean. It's, it's quite scary as a consumer. If you're kind of like, you know, trying to decide what you want to buy, which boxes, which televisions, and which you're going to plug in. And I'm about to move house, and I'm kind of just trying to figure out. And I've, you know, I've, I've just said, look, whatever you do, just give me something where I can just plug stuff in and out, you know, because I don't know what I'm going to be using in three years' time. Uh, but but I, I, and so it, it is quite, I mean, it's, it's like sort of, J, it's like kind of VHS versus Betamax writ large, you know, but, you know. I don't think you should, we should worry nearly so much as we do 
basically, uh, whether you're commissioning content for a linear channel or for on demand, um, you will you'll now be able to make about the same amount of money in advertising terms uh, and probably in subscription terms too. So, but I think it's extraordinary the strength of the linear model. I mean, I certainly did not predict that we'd still be watching linear TV as much as we do. Channel 4, I've just launched a linear new channel called 4.7. You know, we only watch 3% of our TV in catch-up or on demand, only 3%. Um, and actually, putting a new linear channel will generate viewing instantly. It's extraordinary. It's the real-time thing. It's happening now, and therefore it's compulsive in a way that you know, a cinematic release model like, like Netflix just doesn't uh, work in the same way. So linear is incredibly powerful. Can I, can I throw it open to, to you? Who would like to ask a question about what we're talking about or change the subject? We're pretty relaxed. Yes. Alan Wellsman, uh, I work for Disney, um, and I'm quite interested to know whether the panel um, thinks that mobile and mobile technologies, and, and as Alex Graham mentioned, that more as an enabler, I guess, than as, a, as content itself, but whether mobile technologies or whether television ultimately will have more of a cultural influence on the globe, which, which one of the two would you go for? Which, you know, I'm kind of, I think you're television people arguing about new technology, and I just want to understand whether you think mobile has more cultural impact globally than television does currently and in the future. Stuart? Depends what you mean by mobile. I mean, I think you get... Well, 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 in a sense, I I was on a... uh, 18 years ago, I was on a government committee called Technology Foresight. I think Peter York was on it as well, if Peter's still here. And actually, if you look at what we predicted, we predicted wireless, and in those days, wireless was a word you use for an old radio. We got that one right. Uh, we actually, amazingly, a guy forecast what pretty much looks like the iPad. But actually, what we never forecast was what Tessa's was the resilience of linear television. What we never forecast was actually that screens would not only get smaller, they'd get bigger. In a sense, HDTV has made the fixed screen experience so much more rewarding. So in a sense, and accepting that you know, products are not being designed for big screens compared to small screens, some of these shows work so much better on a big screen than they work on a small screen. But You're confusing what I'm saying, though, because I'm asking whether you think mobile as an enabler for societies yeah. is more culturally relevant than television has been and will be. I, I just see it as a false question. I just see it as a why, false why, question. Why is it? It's because like saying electricity is more important yes, than television. Two, two nights ago, I missed 2012, so I woke up the next morning and on my iPad in bed with my headphones, I watched it. Well, that was me using mobility to watch something that I'd missed in linear television. To but, me, but it's the same it, Mobile enables so much more than just watching things. So that's, well, that's why I'm asking. Oh, I see. What you're, you're, so you're, you're not like talking about... The versus the interactive. But I don't mean yeah, it. I just sure. mean generally... You mean everything how do you a mobile device can do. Absolutely. But that, that is just an odd <laughs> choice, isn't it? That, that is like saying, what's more important, light or electricity? No, no, because TV is not light or electricity, whereas mobile is. So... so would you say that mobile... It can deliver those things. It, it isn't in itself. Are you not it's the wrong I just think it's a false dichotomy. I think yeah. you're confusing a sort of a methods of delivery with content. And I think the problem is, actually, in times of rapid technological change, one, one of the things that happens is that the meanings of words get, get changed very dramatically. And people... Are, it's quite difficult to know what you... So we talk about television. If we talk about the box and... Well, increasingly, the screen on the wall rather than the box in the corner... Is that what you mean by television, or do you mean the stuff that Stephen and I make? I, I, uh, mean, I mean what you consume from it. So what you... Culturally, I watch television. For example, documentaries are interesting, and, you know, and news 
enlivens cultural debate and all of those things. And I just wonder whether you compare everything that television provides content-wise with everything that mobile provides. It's a very Sorry. binary question. It's not know, this well, I, or I that. It is. I know it's, it is, but I just wanted to know what, what you What I thought. would say, what I would say, is, sorry, what I would say, it is a binary question. I mean, I'm not quite sure. But what I would say is that uh, if you look at the history of media, with the possible exception of the illuminated manuscript, there is no evidence for any old medium dying at the hands of a new one. Uh, I mean, old media, and, and, and we predict, you know, television was going to kill off radio. Uh, you know, then, then, then DVD was going to kill off movies, television was going to kill off movies, and actually old media don't die, they just get better at what they do. They have to get a lot better. So going to the cinema now, sorry? Well, that's a sorry, okay, we can argue, that's a, okay, that's a technology, not a media. But anyway, I think that, and I, and, and I do think that one, the, the corollary of that is what I would say about television is, I think it will be harder and harder in future to make, to get away with making mediocre TV. I think, you know, and I think that actually the sort of, you know, the, the second half of the 20th century, we had a structure where actually a lot of protect, there were a lot of protected spaces where people could make stuff which was just not that good and get it on air and even find a few people to watch it. That is much harder now. I think, you know, and, and I, personally, I completely welcome that. You know, I think, you know, a, a world where it's harder to do stuff to get away with making mediocre stuff has got to be a good world. Okay, thank you. Yes. Hi, Ed Tull from uh, uh, 159 Marketing Communications. Just, um, as you say, the success of, or the continuing success of linear TV, do you think that's more to do with social media and the shared experience of, of linear TV, or more to do with the fact that people like, people like Channel 4, BBC, curating that information? Is there one, you know, is there one thing out of those two that's going to sustain the success of linear TV over the other? That's both, isn't it? I mean, I think it's both. They're, they're, they're... And given that so many people watch linear TV um, aren't actually um, online at the same time or using that, then it's the curation that's primarily doing it. People like to have choices made for them. Um, and, but the fact that increasingly they're aware and able to appreciate the fact that other people are watching at the same time and have some kind of conversation with them or at least be aware of what people are saying is a strong factor to keep them to keep them there. Isn't, isn't it also isn't there also some laziness? Yes, it's in like a restaurant. You go into a restaurant and then the waiter says, "What do you want to eat?" You know, you know. Well, have you got a menu? No, just tell me what you want to eat. It's just not like that. People like to be uh, have to have propositions, um, and as long as they're high quality, and that's a very important bit. So they're high quality, and then there's the real time thing. There's the social thing. Um, that's a very strong thing, but. Do you know what? It doesn't matter. If it linear isn't strong, it doesn't matter for TV either. On demand works, it works economically, it works financially. It just happens to be true that linear is extraordinarily uh, sticky. And I, I think it shows the, it shows the danger of, of, of trying to make glib uh, predictions. Again, I think, you know, a few, not that many years ago, I think the consensus was that technology was driving the fra a, frag a, 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 you know, a, a quite serious fragmentation of the audience, and everyone was concerned about that. You know, small, you know, and it was you know, people were going to be, all the kids going to be watching their rooms, and nobody's going to be talking to one another. The you know, and, and, and the idea of the, the big television show was dead. And actually, almost the opposite has happened. Almost, you know, and actually now, of course, you, you can actually share that experience without being in the same room, without being in the same city, without being in the same country in some cases. You can actually share that experience. So, I mean, I think that we've got to be very careful about make, making those kind of glib assumptions about how things are going are to move. And ultimately, what... I think what will happen is that people will make those choices, you know, and actually that's a problem. I mean, I think you can sort of, you can make judgments about where technology is going, 
What's much harder is to make judgments about what, how, what people actually want to do with that technology, because people are fickle. But, but doesn't this slightly, Stuart, remind you of the conversation? I mean, we just, you just mentioned newspapers uh, a minute ago. I mean, a few years ago when we were having debates about, you know, will, will we all stop buying newspapers because of uh, the internet? Everyone said, no, 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 of course not. You know, um, we'll, always, we'll always want newspapers. And now all of a sudden the newspapers are talking about not printing anymore. Um, but it goes down to the efficiency of the model, doesn't it? And, and you know, the cost of, of, the, of the paper. I mean, what is the biggest problem for newspaper cost? It's actually paper. And transport. Uh, and transport. And so, in a sense, the, you know, that, uh, and the revenues back for that are not, you know, don't, make, don't make sense. I mean, if you look at the television viewing figures, actually, television spend on first run is going down, but hours are going up. In other words, broadcasters are, me- are making more efficient use of their spend. So I, I, I don't think sometimes, you know, it's necessary that technology works or doesn't work. It's just sometimes the business model behind it doesn't work for some reason. I mean, you know, the, the look, you know, sit on the tube and how many people, what's the percentage of people reading Metro? Staggeringly high because for the moment that you're in the tube, that's pretty much, you know, that's, that's an available media. But now, you know, Virgin Media rolling out wireless on the tube, suddenly is that going to hit Metro? I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, I was just, just going to say, I think laziness and, and time is probably a interest, an interesting point because I think we've all been in a position where we've recorded something we really wanted to watch on our PVR or Sky Plus and then have just never bothered, you know, and it just starts stacking up and stacking up. And I th- so I think, you know... The further it gets away, yeah. the less likely you are exactly. to watch it. Yes? With the increased competition of Twitter, obviously helping journalists, this is probably further Krishna and, and Stuart, um, is there a danger that companies like ITN who spend money, who obviously cost money, that, they, that the quality has to suffer ultimately to compete? Or is there a sense that by investing in things like ITN, BBC, Sky News, that that can actually improve the news experience and make it better than Twitter that people seem to be following as well as the uh, sort of more conventional online broadcasters and newspapers? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let Stuart take that. The, the, the only thing I would say is that Twitter only works as a news service by having something to point you at. And, uh, and if, you, if there's nothing to point at, then... Twitter is pointless. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, in, in the resilience stakes, none of us expected television news, live television news, would sustain as well as it had. When, when I was running a great chunk of it, the audience was dropping like a stone. But I think it has levelled out because, in a sense... Since you left? No, well, since, no, <laughs> since I left, it, they have, it's never gone up again, Stephen, but it's levelled out. Um, and that's just a way, you know, again, that's a reflection of, of technology. But you have to be honest, I don't know of many television news services in the UK, let alone anywhere else in the world, that are run for profit. They're either run because it's a public service mission, in the case of BBC, they're either run because it's a license requirement, in the case of of ITV, although I think ITV News, if we ever saw the figures, probably does at least break even. But I'm sure there's an opportunity cost if it wanted to run something else. Sky News loses a bundle and always has, but is part of the package, if you like. So it's it's a kind of different model to put forward as as to why do people do television news. But it is a fact that it has sustained much longer and both the 10 o'clock news in the, in, you know, hold, their, hold their own in the ratings. Therefore, I'm pretty bullish about the, the future of television news, and that's where I think the, the add-on of, of Twitter, and again, not necessarily wanting to refer to Channel 4 News, but it was interesting. Channel 4 News' coverage of the Japan earthquake was absolutely fantastic as linear television, but what really made it interesting was Jon Snow and Alex Thompson constantly tweeting, I've just arrived at this village, and guess what I've just seen, and you can see my piece on, in a couple of hours on television. I mean, that was a very complete experience. Thank you. Yes. 
Nico McDonald, um, I'm interested in whether we're dealing with a new medium or a new media. And by that I mean, uh, are we simply making uh, traditional media, broadcast media, more accessible to people to uh, watch, to comment on and so on? And basically we're dealing with the same stuff as we did before, albeit over IP or mobile uh, protocols. Or are we dealing with a new media in the sense that film was a new media and developed its own language and its own uh, way of doing things? It created, allowed us to create things you couldn't experience uh, on any previous media platform, if you like. And if the latter, I take up Tess's point, which I thought was nice, that we're not dealing with devices anymore, but with television as an experience. Perhaps we're not even dealing with television, but something broadcast fulfilled a, a cultural function on many cultural functions and we should start to think about what those cultural functions were and how they might be instantiated in something created digitally sent over networks which couldn't be experienced on any other medium and if that's the case what kind of thing that might that be is it the space that the BBC and the Arts Council are creating to try and experiment with new digital things? Are we experimenting enough with creating a new medium in the way that in the 20s and 30s, Hitchcock, who we've talked about today, and others created a new language, a new sort of cultural form of the film? Are we doing well enough in that domain? Oh, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> Stuart. I just think that the gap we've had until now is that the impartiality rules on television have limited the number of authored pieces, whether it be in documentaries. Uh, and having actually tried to enforce these rules at Ofcom, like, was the great global warming scandal, was that impartial or not? Well, it wasn't impartial. Did it break the impartiality rules? I just think, actually, if you take the, uh, what was the Ugandan, the Cody film, was it? Um, but the phenomenon behind that, actually, that's what may actually engage particularly younger people more, is more what we would used to call propaganda or partial. But I think it's just authored broadcasting, which has always been limited, and perhaps its moment has come. There's still, it's still a restraint around that, let's be honest. If you're, if you're a commissioning editor and you want to do a, a very you know, partisan piece, you're constantly thinking, of when am I going to balance that? And frankly, I, I'm not saying we should get rid of all these rules, because some of them have some value, but I do think they have limited the range of expressions um, on television. I think uh, pieces of linear film immersive film um, are never going to go away whether you watch them in a cinema or you distribute them online it is just about how you get them to people and actually television's adoption of uh, web and mobile technologies has been relatively painless compared to a newspaper you know it's a glass screen the content's already digitized frankly it's like falling off a log um, the, the difference is the, the linear versus the on-demand thing um, I think however uh, having a second uh, device is changing. I think it's not the, the it's not the method of distribution of the primary content that's changing TV, but the second de device is changing TV. You know exactly as Stephen was talking about about, about participation. Hopefully, more interesting ways of, of the audience um, being part of that experience, feeding back. Look at Question Time. I mean, that's one of the most tweeted programs. Who'd have thought that a current affairs show is the you know the coolest thing on the planet and gets the most tweets? Um, from my point of view, from advertising, having a second screen is fantastic. It's really brilliant. We, television has always been, advertising has been very effective, but we struggle sometimes to get the credit for the effect we produce when people go and search. Now, people can instantly respond to TV advertising, either just by searching or through an app. So, uh, and tailor-made apps, uh, retailing apps like Shazam or, or Zbox are going to get TV advertising even more credit. 
uh, for what it does. Stephen, do you have a... Um, I don't know if it's directly responding to the question, but I mean, I do think, just picking up something that um, Alex said earlier, the, 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 there's a lot of talk uh, recent, I mean, not that long ago, about the fragmentation of the audience and that this would lead to much less money being bundled up, therefore, for the making of programmes. I've been pleased to see that that hasn't happened. I mean, the, the, it's not like we've now got millions of outlets and everybody's having to make programmes for a pittance. It, it, the only way the whole thing works is if enough money is spent on programmes to make them interesting enough for people to watch. Alex, um, last word. Yeah, I mean, well, just to try and respond, I mean, I'm not sh I don't know what I think about, the, 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 you know, I mean, the, the possibility of a, a, a new media. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, 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 I'm not quite sure what it is yet. But what I would say is I think that we are, what is interesting is the 20th century, uh, television within, in the 20th century played a very specific role as a kind of national hegemonic force. You know, now we can all, depending on your politics, you might think that was a good thing or you might think it was a bad thing, but it was a binding together, you know, and actually, you know, provided a powerful tool for regimes of all kinds, democratic or otherwise, to kind of act, you know. Uh, you know. And I think that what we have now. Is, is, is very different from that. I think the cultural and political uh, impact of the media in the 21st century is going to be very different. It's not as bounded by national boundaries as it was. And as Stuart says, it's much more open to a much wider range, much more, I mean, you just need to spend some time on Twitter, you know, and, and, and you know, to, to see that, a much wider range, a much more global, international, multicultural range of political argument exists now. Personally, I think that's an almost wholly good thing and I, 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 an entirely progressive thing. But, you know, I mean, we could argue about, you know, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's, you know, there are some things you lose in terms of a national hegemony. But I do think that it, culturally and politically, whether, that, whether you would count that, whether that means a new medium or not, I'm more sceptical. But culturally and politically, I think we are at a sort of uh, tipping point. And that's... I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you all very much indeed. <laughs> <laughs>